Hey, Mom and Dad. Um, I just want to let you know that uh, I it looks like I'm going to be able to come home for Christmas this year. Um, I'm super excited to see you guys. I hope that you haven't changed anything in my room because I'm coming home. See you soon. Love you. Bye. Hi, Mom and Dad. Just want to let you know that John and I and the kids are coming home for Christmas. Hey, Mom and Dad. I know it's been a while since I've seen you guys and we've gotten together, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm coming home for Christmas this year and I can't wait to see you. See you later. Love you. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to uh, Christmas Eve. And on behalf of all of us, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Um, planning for this uh, has brought back a lot of memories in our family. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, you'll know this to be true. And if you're visiting, uh, you can in just enjoy this little factoid. Uh, Chris and I have five children, and all of them at this point are adults, the oldest uh, 33 and the youngest twins at 25. And for the most part, they've all begun their own families, um, their own careers. They're doing their own things. So Christmas has changed for us over the years. So when we watch things like this, it really does um, remind us of certain things. And we were talking just the last couple of days. Um, the first Christmas without uh, one of our children was Amy. Amy is uh, part of the co-pastor here at Lone Tree Campus. And uh, Ames, when she was 18, uh, she graduated high school, uh, 17, worked for a year, and then she went to Youth with a Mission, uh, YWAM. And she was part of a four-year program there to become a missionary. And so she left in the late summer uh, that year, and it was going to be the very first Christmas without uh, one of our kids there. And for those of you who have experienced that, uh, you know, here, here were the three things stacked against me. One, she was my oldest and she was a girl, right? Uh, first time that we're going to be without a kid, and not is she uh, like up at CSU or uh, uh, up at Boulder at CU. Uh, she is halfway across the world. In fact, she spent her Christmas that year in Cambodia and Thailand, and it seemed so very far away. And we were so very lonely for her and we missed her so much. So we started doing this little ritual at the time. We'd set a place for her even though she wasn't there. We put out the silverware and we put out uh, the plates. And um, in our family, you know, there were seven of us. And so we've got a little bit of a big table. And there are better seats and worse seats at that table. <laughs> And so it kind of, you got your seat by the pecking order. If you were born first, you could claim it before anybody else uh, had gotten there. So she had one of the better seats. And of course, the minute she goes, her siblings are ready to move into her place. Uh, but Chris and I were like, absolutely not. That's her place, whether she's here or not. She always has a place here at this table. And I remember when she came home that summer. We did it for uh, six months straight. We set a place for her just to remind ourselves at the table to pray for her and because it helped us to feel connected to her when she was so far away. And I just share that with you for two reasons. Uh, the name of our series is called I'll Be Home for Christmas. Maybe you're here just for Christmas. Maybe normally this isn't your routine on a weekend. Uh, maybe you were invited. Maybe you're just being kind to somebody. Maybe you don't even live here. And you're just, um, you're just here this morning. Can I just make a statement to everybody, whether you are a regular or whether you're visiting uh, even if you never plan on being back again, I want you to know 
The way that I felt about my daughter and having a place for her is the way that your Heavenly Father feels about you. And you're not here accidentally. There's a place at the table for you here. You belong here. And even if you don't call Jubilee your home, I'm talking about the larger kingdom of God. Your Father has a place for you, and you matter to Him. And you're not here accidentally today. So our series is, I'll be home for Christmas. And we've used, um, we've used sort of a... Um, <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, not, not a funny, but um, maybe a different text to teach out of for Christmas. We've used the prodigal son story for the last several weeks to teach about I'll Be Home for Christmas. Uh, if you know the story, you're familiar with it. Uh, if you've never heard it, I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's just a simple story. Let me set it up so that you understand. Jesus is teaching. Uh, Jesus was a fantastic teacher, and from time to time what Jesus was do, in the middle of while he's teaching, he would stop and tell a story in order to connect his audience to what he was saying. Stories help us learn things. A good storyteller, man, they're priceless. Jesus was a great storyteller. So in the middle of him teaching about the kingdom of God and how we fit into it and what God wants for us, Jesus just simply interrupts the story, uh, the teaching, to give them this story. So it's from Luke chapter 15. Begins at verse 11. It's just a really short story. Uh, Jesus continued, so he's continuing to teach, but he tells the story. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the dad did something incredibly generous, unbelievably. Um, I, not many fathers would do this. He went ahead and divided his estate, his property, between the two boys before he died. Not long after that, The younger son got together all that he had. So that's all that the father had given him plus anything else he had accumulated. And he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now you realize in just a few words, we probably have a three or four year time frame condensed. This is not just uh, six months. This is over a period of time. So he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything that he had there happened to be a severe famine in that whole country that he had moved to. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to take care of the pigs, to feed the pigs. The son was so hungry that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one would give him anything to eat. When he came to his senses, let me just stop for a minute. I don't know what it is about this story, but somehow it relates to all people because I want to ask you the question, why does it take us so long to come to our senses sometimes? (laughs) What is it about humans that we can be so stubborn doing things we know are not good for us, know that they're keeping us from the Father, know that they're sidetracked? What is it about us that we take so long to come to our senses? And even in this case, he didn't fully come to his senses. I'll show you. When he came to his senses, he said this to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am in this country starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, look at this rehearsed speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So I said he came to his senses, but he didn't fully come to his senses because instead of acting like a son, he's acting like a stranger. And that's really important. Because when it comes to how we respond to the Father, look at me real quick. 
You're never to be a stranger in your father's house. He's your father. He invites you into fellowship with him. So he rehearses this speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. In other words, the son feels ashamed. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. So it's a word picture here. And what it means is the father didn't chase after the son. He let the son go and do what he wanted to do. But the word picture is that every day the father must have had some kind of a a hill, a tower, a a higher place where he could look out to see if the son was ever going to come home. So every day he's looking to see. Every day he's watching. He didn't chase him, but it's waiting for him. That's a tremendous thought. So while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And then it says this, his father was filled with compassion for him. And then these powerful words right here. He ran to his son. He didn't fold his arms, tap his foot and say, I knew you'd be coming back eventually. He didn't say something like, are you out of money? The Bible says that he looked and when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion and he ran. He threw his arms around his son. He kissed him. The son said to him, he goes into his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it looks from this, the father just cuts him off. Anybody got a father that can cut you off like that? Yeah, there's a few of us. So the father just said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's have a party, a feast, a celebration. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate real quickly. Short message, two things about it. And then I want to show you a really sweet video. Listen to this. Why is this story in the Bible? Of all stories, the Bible, listen, is a very carefully edited and selected text. In one of the Gospels, it says just this. If all the stories about Jesus had been written down, the earth couldn't contain the volumes. So in the Bible, man, most of the stories about the people in the Bible weren't even included. Why did this story make it in the final copy? Why do we have this story? I'll just give it away to you real quick. I think this story is to reveal two things to us. One, I think it reveals how we respond to God many times with shame. And I think it's how God responds to us. God runs after us. And there may not be a better Christmas message you could hear today because Christmas is far more than a little baby who came so that you could have presents tomorrow. Here's what Christmas is about. A God who loves you, created you, and is passionate about you, pursues you every day. Man, you're not here by accident. He planned for you to be here. I want to try to show you something. All right, so this story is about 2,000 years old minimum. It's probably a parable from even before then. And so we got thinking with our creative team, What would the prodigal look like if we did a 2017 story? And I've got some really, really competent, talented people that work at our church. In fact, I mean, look around. Have they done a good job or what? I'd like to just thank them real quick. Man. So Creative Arts team puts together a video, and this is sort of a modern-day biblical story about the prodigal. Watch this.
Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Dad, it's me. I know it's been a long time since we talked. I was, I was kind of hoping you would have answered. I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. Uh, all the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know. I know how bad I've hurt you and Mom and let you down, but, but Dad, I just miss you. I, I miss how we would drive around town and just talk about life. I just, I just want to come home for Christmas. But I know you've probably written me off. I, I can't blame you, actually. Here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm coming through town soon, and I'd really like to see you and Mom. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there when I drive by, I'll, I'll keep going and try not to bother you guys anymore. I love you, Dad. do a good job, don't they? It's a powerful thought. There's two parts to this story. It's the takeaway. The first one, just simply, I put it in these terms. When it comes to the Father, there's the way that we feel sometimes. And if I were just to try to put it in a portable couple of words, sometimes we just simply feel written off. It's just so easy to write yourself out of the story, to think that God doesn't really or couldn't really or pastor if you really knew all about me you'd understand why I feel the way that I feel God just can't love me that way it's so easy sometimes to take our behavior our shortcomings our mistakes the stuff that nobody else knows about and we just simply write ourselves off and when we write ourselves off we feel shame and shame keeps us from God rather than drawing us to God when I say that, some of you sit in the room and you get exactly what I'm saying, man. You can identify the thing that you feel like you failed at. The thing that you feel like you can't come back from. The thing that defined you in your life. Some of you sitting here, you don't really get what I mean because you think, oh, God didn't really have to do that much for me. I was pretty good. I'm not talking about embarrassing stuff. I'm talking about things that are failures. Let me lighten it up real quick. Um, I'll give you an embarrassing one. 
a week ago today was our 34th anniversary. 34 years, man, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. And that was as weak a clap as there's ever been inside of, inside of church. Um, so uh, I asked Chris, what, what do you want to do? What, what, you know, what's your, your desire? Um, there's a restaurant. The very first vacation we ever took, we went out to the West Coast, L.A. area. And there's a, a restaurant, a seafood restaurant, that we've tried to make it back every three, four, five years, something like that. The building's really old. It's a dive. It's over 80 years old, but they have great crab, and Chris and I both love seafood. And so we decided we'll go to L.A., and we'll spend the night, and we'll hit this restaurant. And I pulled up in front of it, and it's one of these old-fashioned ones with a great big, you know, plate glass in the front. You sit right up next so you can look out on the street. And in between where you park the car and where the restaurant is literally is like a three, three-and-a-half-foot sidewalk. That's it. So I pulled around to the door, and I let her out, and then I went to the front to park, and forgive me for being a little bit crude, but uh, I'm fighting a cold right now. And more than anything, phlegm is just choking me. So I drop her off. I park the car, and I think to myself, I'm going to spit this out real quick because she's it's our anniversary. I don't want her to see me do this. And so I get out of the car, not paying attention. I go to spit, but it was one of those spits that goes like this, whoop, right on my... <laughs> anybody in here ever spit like... You know what I'm talking? Be honest right now. It's like, like glue spit or something like that. It just, it literally, instead of going out on the ground, it went whoop, and it landed right on a black sweater that I was wearing. All right? So I look at that and I'm like, you gotta be kidding. I look up and everybody in the restaurant is looking at me with spit all over my shirt. Now, so I just want you to think real quick, what would you do to recover from that? So your first reaction is to wipe it off, but then I, don't touch it. Don't. So I turned around, and I tried to, like, so what am I going to do? By then, you know, people are laughing. Chris, is, she's the only one not looking. She's like, I have no idea who that guy is. She's looking the other, the other way. So I go inside. I go to the bathroom. I try to get my, there's nothing you can do except own it right there at that point, and that's, that's it. Um, all right, look, that's, uh, that's embarrassing. But I'm not talking about embarrassing. I'm talking about the stuff that we do that we're ashamed of. A few years ago, I went out to uh, Brush Correctional Institute. It's for um, felony juvenile offenders. So it's not kids that um, broke into a house. It's people that used a gun. It's people that got into drugs. It's hardcore young people. And I remember getting dumped into this place with a bunch of these hardened kids. And I've got like 15 minutes to try to reach them. And so I'm like, God, you got to give me, give me. If I just open the Bible and start reading it, that is not going to get it done. Give me something to get their attention real quick. And there's a little scripture that says, don't worry about what you'll say in that day. Just be willing to open your mouth. So I just stood up, and here's what came out of my mouth. Um, we're all guilty. The difference is you got caught. And man, those guys laughed and laughed, but it opened their heart to me instantly because I wasn't trying to be something I wasn't or make them feel like they're worse than. And the truth of the matter is, you might not be a felon, but Jesus didn't die just for felons. He died for people who lie too. 
and he died for people who betray others. And he died for people who lose their temper. And he had to die for all sins of mankind. And when those things enter into our lives, what happens is we don't feel proud about those things. Those things bring shame to us and they cause us to run from God. And I'm going to ask you one more time, why is this story in the Bible? While you may have never been a son who demanded your inheritance and then blew it, it takes an extreme case in order to point out to us we've all gone our own way. We've all walked away from God. We've all done our own thing and we all need a savior. And without that man, that shame causes us to feel written off. The kid describes it perfectly. I'm not worthy. There's a scripture in Romans. Chapter 3, verse 10, that just really puts it in plain, clean language. There is no one righteous, not even one. All of us, man, at some point in our life, maybe even right this moment, are living our lives opposite than what God wants. And the truth of the matter is, you're here this weekend because God wants to invite you home. I try to explain this um, a lot of times, different ways, when I'm teaching the difference between religion and relationship. I wasn't raised a church kid, meaning that I had an understanding about God, but as a family, when I was growing up, we went to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Those were the big ones. And it's not that we were against it. It just wasn't a priority for my family. That's just how it was. But I did, as a kid, go to catechism class. And in my catechism class, they taught me about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I had to actually pass a test so that I could take my first communion. And I did. So I could give you a definition of who God was, but I didn't know God. And some of you this weekend... You know what I'm talking about, but you don't know who I'm talking about. You have religion and you don't have a relationship. And I'm not being mean or ugly or talking down. I'm telling you the truth right now. God wants you to have a relationship with him. He loves you. And these holidays and these traditions that we celebrate, they're not about the things that, that, <laughs> that uh, Madison Avenue makes them about. They're not about trees and Men in red suits and sleighs and snow. It's about a God who so passionately loves you. He's doing everything he can every day to tell you. All right, that's the first half of that story, that the son feels unworthy, so he writes himself out. I'm not worthy. I'll just become a servant, not a son. But the best part of the story is we may feel written off, but God wants you to feel written in. I've heard God described in a lot of different terms in 32 years. Uh, if I were to stand up right now and just open it up like, okay, uh, who's God? People would shout out things like, God is love. Uh, God is merciful. Uh, God is faithful. God is great. God is creator. All of those things. Every word to describe him like that would be true. They're all great adjectives. But let's, let's just do this. I've never, ever heard anyone ever describe God as a great track star. And follow me for just a moment. This scripture, the sons represent humanity and the father represents the heavenly father. And this God right here is so much in love with you that he runs after you. And we always think of God in the terms of the old man on the throne with the long beard. But here he's described as the God who runs after his sons and his daughters. 
God's not waiting for you to come to him. He is the initiator of relationship, the pursuer of relationship. You know what today is? Today might be the very first time God's got your attention to let you know he's been pursuing you. God wants us written in. There's an obscure scripture in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read you the scripture. Listen to how serious these words are. Um, anyone whose name was not found written. Remember, we write ourselves out. God wants us written in. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. Man, that's a heavy-duty scripture right there. Some people are like, Pastor, I, I didn't... Oh, that's, are you a fire and brimstone guy? No, but if the Bible says it, I won't take a sentence out of it. And so here it just simply says, whoever name, whoever's name is not found written in the book suffers a huh, horrible eternity. How do I I'll just say it? Every person in this room, just look at me real quick. Me and you and you and you and you and you, every person will stand before God at some point and the books will be opened on your life. And your name is either going to be there or it's not going to be there. Your name never ends up in that book accidentally. You don't get there because you did a few good works and you don't get there because you were a nice person and you don't get there because you went to church on Christmas. Your name ends up in the book of life because you had a relationship with God. And at that point in that time, you can't get it written in there. Now's the time. And so you might think, man, Pastor, it's Christmas. Take it easy. It's Christmas. Let's get after it. You can take it easy tomorrow when you open presents and eat prime rib or whatever you're having. We're having red beans and rice, by the way. So it's a Cajun Christmas for the pastor. My friend, we may never cross paths again. You may be here by invitation only with no intention of ever coming back. You may not remember anything else that I said, and all those things are fine. But this is so important. Don't forget that you were told. Your name needs to be in the book of life. You don't want to find it missing on that day. And you may think that you ended up here accidentally, but I would tell you that God planned for you to be here because he's been trying to get your attention because he wants your name in the book of life. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to get religion. I'm not asking you to reform and be good. You don't have to go get a suit. Thank God. <laughs> But you do need your name written in that book. And that's the difference between religion and relationship. So I'm going to ask you where you stand on that issue right now. And if you say, I'm not sure, that's evidence right now that it's not written there. Because you can know for sure in a relationship with the Father through Jesus. And if you want that, then I'll facilitate the opportunity for you to get it written in that book right now. Pray with me. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to speak to your people today. 
Lord, I don't want to do it uh, in a way that's unbecoming or a way that feels forced. The truth of the matter is, folks, I have nothing to gain by this message. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to sign you up for a class. I'm not asking you to come back to our church. I'm not asking you to go to any church. I'm asking you straight up if you need God's grace and mercy in your life. I'm asking if you need a relationship with him. I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm asking you if you know him. If you stood before God today, tonight, tomorrow, and the book of life was opened, is your name in there? The name is written in there. That means it's done intentionally and on purpose. You never get in the book accidentally. Jesus was asked a question one time, what is eternal life? Listen to Jesus' description. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and your Son, whom you sent. Eternal life is not even heaven. Eternal life is a relationship with God the Father through the Son. And if what I'm saying right now speaks to your heart, and you know that you know that you need a relationship with God, that you need His mercy, you need His grace, and you want your name written in that book. <coughs> and you say, Pastor, remember me when you pray. Because that's what I want God to do for me. Slip your hand up right now. Just pray for me, John. You bet. You bet. Yep. 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 You put them back down. Okay. My prayer won't get this done for you. I don't have some special um, inside track to the Father. You and I are in the exact same place. We're two people who need a Savior. So it won't be my words that get it done. It'll be the sincerity of your heart. Maybe I just have a little more experience. So I'm going to pray. But if this is what you want, then tell the Father, that's it right there. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for being merciful to all of us. Thank you for speaking to us, for calling us, for forgiving us, and for loving us. Father, right now, we come to you. We ask, Father, that you would restore us to the position of sons and daughters. Beyond creation to the position of sons and daughters. You call us your friends, and even beyond that, you call us sons and daughters. Right now, Father, pull everything out of the way that keeps us from coming to you. All shame, all sin, all failure, everything, God, that's in the way. Because of what Jesus did for us, forgive us and restore us. God, that picture of the father looking every day to see if the son or the daughter was making it home. God, today you saw them in a distance and you began to run to them. And that's, that's what people are responding to. Father, help us right now not to turn this into anything else. Certainly not to make it religion but to just keep it on the simple terms of relationship. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me. Merry Christmas.